Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of We Got This podcast. And today I've got the joy and pleasure of talking to Marwa Farouk, who most recently served as an executive leader with teach for all where she led multiple teams as the global head of operations. And it was at teach for all where Marwa led the transformation of the business uh, into self-management. And that's the bulk of our conversation, but not the ins and outs of the transformation of what steps they took to a transition, but more on the individuals. What do individuals need to possess? What qualities they need to have to make that transition easier, smoother? And and we also talk about the misconceptions around self-management. And Mahwa shares three of the ones that she uh, has encountered most often. Here's my conversation with Mara Farouk. Enjoy. We Got This showcases individuals and organizations that create people-focused workplace cultures to help it become the norm rather than the exception. It's something that will require a mindset shift and probably not something that any of us can do alone. But together, together, we got this. I wouldn't be myself. This podcast wouldn't be this podcast if I didn't ask the usual first question, which is when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? I listened to some of your podcasts, so I love that question. I wanted to be a teacher. So there are different phases, of course. I wanted to be a teacher and then I wanted to work with pets, sort of a pet rescue of some kind. Did you remember that or did you have to go back in in, in your memory or to your parents or your family to find out what that was? Because I know sometimes people find it difficult. I know I I had to go back to my family, ask my sister, my, my, my mom and dad to help me remember what it was, what I wanted to be when I was little. How was it for you? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I couldn't recall at all what I wanted to be when I was young. And then I called my father and he was like, do you remember what I wanted? And he's like, of course I did. Then he had like a really long wind the timeline type thing of what I wanted to be, which was really cool to have that. Um, Has that changed for you over, because you mentioned that there were different things that you wanted to be over over time. How how did that evolve kind of in terms of your age when you were, I don't know, like at school, at university? I think I I wouldn't think about them as almost an evolution. I think it's interesting because I I reflected on that a little bit and and I think it's just things that I innately care about. So I innately care about being peace and bringing peace to the world. And I still, this is very much in the, in the midst of the work that I try to do, the kind of human being that I want to be in the world to my, starting with like my children as a mother, to my family, to my work, to the people I coach and, and so on. The teaching piece is also um, such an important piece. I was, I had, I was very fortunate to meet very awesome teachers in my life as a student and as a, in early my career in the form of mentors and coaches and stuff. And I was, this role really inspired me. And I wanted to be that when I was young, I wanted to be a teacher to others. Like I wanted, wanted to reciprocate that. And as I grew up, I think seeing the people that were generous enough to teach me things and coach me and mentor me, wanted me to do the same. So I think that's, and it just evolves in, evolved in that way in my, and then animals, I, I, I am still in love with animals. I foster cats in my home. Yeah. Animals has been a consistent, consistent thing in my, in my life. I've always either had a pet or supported rescues in whatever I'm living and yeah. 
all are things I care about. The the pattern I I see with this question by asking it to so many guests is that, that kind of there's kind of three overall things that I've noticed. And the pattern is that these things that we wanted to be when we were little seem to center around wanting to teach, teach caring for people or animals or things and sort of a sense of servitude i think that's what i've noticed that the people obviously there's there's a certain group of demographic of, of guests that i have that we are in the roles that we are in there we're heads of people mm. we're consultants mm. we see yo we we are coos there is that element of support as i said servitude caring mm. and so on, so on but that's that's the patterns that i'm i'm seeing and it's interesting to to see what that actually means the one thing that's on my mind is actually speaking to maybe a psychologist a psychiatrist wanting to find out what does that mean right what does that yeah. mean about us in terms of how our upbringing the programming the software that we got from our families from our parents and how that influences what we do whether you know we want to care for somebody else because maybe we didn't get enough care when we were mm. little and that's why we went that way we kind of sort of projecting compensating or however mm. there, there are you know thousands of kind of uh, possible outcomes here i guess and and reasons for that and I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm really curious about that and I might one day sit down with a trained professional to try and ask that question and see if listen that would be... to this pattern to, to see what comes up yeah that would be awesome I mean another way of looking at it is I think of children as the purest form of human beings and I think it's sort of how we're innately wired as human beings is most apparent when we're children we're not yet socialized in a certain way that we're socialized as adults or whatever, like all of the what happens to us over time hasn't happened yet. So I think that as human beings, I know that from like brain science and all of the research that is done that we were, we're wired towards connection, connecting to each other, supporting each other and so on. And I'd like to think that in our childhood, many people wanted to help others because that's the purest form of human beings, which very it's true and difficult to think about it. and it's and it's also you know kids are limitless in terms of mm. creativity right they they don't know boundaries they don't know what those are they don't know yeah. limits they don't as you said they haven't been socialized they haven't been desensitized yet or sensitized I've always confused the words but they haven't experienced the world and haven't become I don't know sarcastic or very much kind of thinking about you know this is not possible we can't we can't do that and being limited by that and for them the world is literally their oyster they don't know those limits and making that I want to be this I want to be an yeah. astronaut I want to fly to Mars to the moon or wherever before they reach school or university or when they go into work and the, the world tells them basically no, you can't do that right so they, they don't yeah. have an experience that and i think that's an, an excellent point that you made that, that there is uh, kids are the purest form in different different ways we've been put in touch by one of the happiest people that i know <laughs> namely henry stewart who was a guest on the podcast last year and i reached out to henry and, and a few other of my former guests to say <sighs> who would you want me to interview? Who do you say, can you suggest my next guest? And Henry came back pretty much straight away to that email saying, I've got a person. And I looked and I went, yes, definitely. I want to speak to Marwa because I looked at what you did together with Henry, one of the talks, I think that it was at the, at the one of the conferences, and it was to do with self-organizing teams, self-management in, in, in general, which is a topic that I'm very interested in for my own purposes but also for the for the work that I want to do with my clients in the future so to say I was really excited to get on this call today and, and record it would be a massive understatement and 
this is kind of the topic that I'd like us to talk about. It's it's very broad. We'll see where it goes. But what I'd love to start off with is talk a little bit about your background, the work that you did in your previous organization in terms of kind of introducing that, the organization obviously being a teach for all. And because you've been on a transformation there from how they worked, moving them on to, to more kind of a self-organizing setup. Would you be able to give us a relatively brief and concise as much as you can kind of context for our further conversations? What happened there? What what did you go? Where did you go from? Where did you arrive? What did that transformation look like? Yeah, I would love to. I'll, I'll, I doubt I'm going to be concise. I'll try my best. I joined Actually Teach for All seven years ago with a mandate for transformation. At the time, our CEO, Linda Kopp, was thinking about what she called back then, pebbles under the feet. And I love, love that expression because it wasn't that we weren't performing as an organization or we weren't successful in growing, but we weren't really fulfilling our hopes and aspirations on every aspect. And there were things that continued to continue to be pebbles under the feet, things that we're struggling with. So some of this, our ability to leverage our people across different functions and different opportunities and so on, ensure our ability to increase the sort of have flexibility within our structure in a way that we can leverage our resources in the best way possible. And many other things, decision-making being sometimes way removed from where things are happening and hence lacking context and so on. So we started off on a journey, Wendy, myself, and, a, and many other senior leaders, and we started exploring what would it look like if we truly blue sky thinking transform our organization. And we did an entire, like a huge process. We really engaged almost, I think, 50% of our organization. We defined a set of learning questions, what we called learning questions, basically these pebbles under the feet developed in a learning question, sort of a reflection question type thing. And different groups of from staff in within our organization came together to sort of submit proposals over a period of time. So we had a three-month time frame and in these, everyone was part of these groups to think about what do we do. Fast forward, in the end, we came together, the senior team back then, Wendy, a few representatives of these different cross-functional teams. We streamed, stream broad, broadcasted that senior team meeting, which was the, our first time to do that. And then every cross-functional team presented what their proposals were. And there were so many crazy things for us back then. One proposal was to dismantle the senior team of the organization. Another proposal was to redefine the role of the manager and different, different things. And in that senior team, we basically decided that we're going to take on board all of these proposals and agree to them. And we dismantled the senior team on that day and started our journey. So fast forward seven years, we as an organization really believe in bringing decisions closer to the work, in being flexible in our approach for resourcing, in trusting the wisdom of our people, in investing in leadership development. Our engagement is in the highest ever. So our engagement this year and even during the pandemic was 88%, 87% during the pandemic. Our diversity is the highest ever since I've joined the organization. So we are 85% diverse. So 85% of our organization population are meet one of our diversity measures within the organization. But more than the numbers, I think where 
we are as an organization, we're a much more open place. Decisions are collaborative. We have a process called the advice and consent where people leverage each other's wisdom when making decisions and many, many other things, many other things. But that's, I'll stop there. <laughs> it is, I'm, I'm itching. I'm literally itching to <laughs> kind of continue this thread, asking you all the ins and outs of how you've done it. And I'd love to do that. I think it would, would definitely be worth having a separate episode on that and if the listeners are interested in that do let me know and i'm sure i hope fingers crossed uh, tomorrow would be available for for a separate conversation just on that the reason i don't want to go into that are twofold one i've had a similar conversation with luke kite from redico also last year they've gone through as exactly the same process but i think a slightly uh, smaller scale in terms of the size of the the company but they've gone through on that transformation which is a two-part conversation as well two-part episode episode interview with 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 Luke so I'll link it up in the in the description so people can can look at that what I'm really curious about is actually to get maybe a little bit deeper slightly approach this uh, this topic from a from a different angle of what you've done and find out firstly maybe let's start with kind of the role of individuals in self-managing teams we might get onto misconceptions and so on uh, later on but I'm curious about because we think about okay, organizational change, self-management, so forth. That's what the the, the senior team wants to do, right? Mm, they need to do certain things to make this work, obviously, which I'm sure you've done. But then, what do the individuals have to bring to the table? Because I often talk about culture. This is the my main uh, my main topic of of what I work with with my clients, and it often seems that I'm talking about oh, organization needs to do this, they need to do that, they need to look after their people, they need to contribute this, they need to support, da 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 da, da. But hang on, um, this is not a one-sided uh, setup, not to mention the transition. It's, like, it's got the individuals on the other end uh, who need to bring things to the table, who need to take ownership, accountability, responsibility of things. Because often organizations feel like, oh, but it's not just us. It's like, yeah, absolutely, you're not. It's we're in this together. Everybody has to carry their weight. So my question to you is from your experience of what you noticed, what do individuals need to bring into this equation for, for it to, to work? I really love that question. And I almost want to take a step back first and, and think about whenever we're approaching any type of change, any type of change, self-management or any type of change, I like to think of five key dimensions that enable this change. And it starts with the individual, that the person knows the change, knows the change, knows how to do the change, wants to do the change. And, and then we look at sort of the structures and processes that support them and then the role modeling that supports them. So really, in any change management process, the individual is at the core of that process as a starting point. So what I sort of, now that I Took that step back, I think I, I would say like the biggest thing coming in such a process where we want to center the human being, the leadership and agency of people, I think the biggest thing is leadership development. It's just really investing. And I leadership development means many things to many people. So I want to almost double click on that a little bit. It just sort of, we want the person that is engaged in this process of, pro, of self-organizing to have a level of self-awareness of their own leadership, their own sense of urgent agency, their values, their limiting beliefs, their fears, their insecurities, their biases, and 
coming into processes and systems of self-managing with that level of awareness in, enables them to really be informed as they engage with that change. They would be aware, sort of almost having that development as an investment, but also as a practice, a practice of reflecting on my leadership and sort of what is happening for me in every situation as I'm encountering that in the process of either self-management or engaging with change and so on, and being aware of which piece of it is mine, which piece of it are things to where I'm not out of my comfort zone or I'm actually hitting a wall of one of my limiting beliefs and I need to revisit that. And yeah, so I would say that would be the first step for me when it comes to the individual individual's responsibility as they're going into self-management. And I would say the same, by the way, for the leadership and senior team, because it's sort of, it's the same thing, right? We, we're still all human and we have the same, we all have limiting beliefs, insecurities, fears, and that we all need to grapple with that and push ourselves as we're engaging with others. I will take a, a, a slight detour based on what you said to a slightly different topic that's actually on my mind because I've noticed it in a, a few, quite a few sessions recently with my clients, workshop, workshop sessions. Just to get your opinion, your take on, again, whether you've experienced and what you've noticed and why you think that might be. Why do we or individuals, employees in organizations, find it so easy to point fingers in all the other directions other than at themselves in terms of linking to self-awareness of limits, weaknesses, and so on and so forth, which turns often into kind of a, a sort of a, a blame game, let's, let's put it this way. Oh, we, I didn't get this. I didn't get that. That person didn't do this, da, 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 da. But actually, we find it so difficult to take ownership. Actually, okay, let's, let's, I'll start with me first. I'll have a look what, what, how I contribute, contributed to this situation before analyzing, okay, I didn't get that from that person. So, okay, fair enough. And see where I arrive. But why? Why do we so rarely do that? Do you have an inkling? Do you have a theory why that is? I have some hypotheses. I don't know which of them. I think it really depends. I think the first thing that comes to my mind actually is the habit of reflecting, the habit of pausing, reflecting, or observing, and then sort of adapting or deciding what to do with what we've learned out of that practice is actually not a practice that many people have. It's, if, if you think about it as a practice, even in many organizations, it hasn't been, it's not part of an, the organization life. And it's not part of the family life either, or the societal life where we pause, sort of observe what is happening for us and what do we need at the moment and how do we sort of approach or engage with what we've learned. So I think that is the first thing is just sort of people don't have that tune or that practice to leverage on in the moment. So it's not something, it's easy. Blaming each other is something that is very abundant, abundant for us to learn and internalize over the years, the MTV and everything. So it's an easy thing to just sort of pull on versus pausing and reflecting and, and so on. The other piece that, I, that comes to mind, and I think it really depends on the organization and context and, and so on, a lot of the time, a lot of the times blame is coming from a place of fear. I'm afraid to be judged in a certain way. And that judgment 
and will that and based on that judgment, I will I will be for the lack of a better, less dramatic word, be punished in a certain way or be valued in a certain way. So valued less, become not as worthy or not as valued or punished in a certain way. And sometimes people, even the narrative with this inter the internal narrative, it's, if I'm wrong, I'm not going to be credible or reliable or so on. So I guess the combination of these two things may may be the reason why a lot of this happens in organizations today. Thank you for that. And it, it made a lot of sense to me and actually managed, I managed to put a few things in a sequence and structured way in, in, in my head as well when it comes to that topic. And I, I agree with that. We don't reflect, we don't have the kind of habit of reflecting, as you said. And then also, yes, it's we do it out of fear, which I think kind of they either go hand in hand or the fear is first. Then on top of that, we don't have the, the habit of reflecting. So, yes, it does make perfect sense because I, I did wonder that it was that fear of being ridiculed or admitting mistake being wrong and, and things like that or losing control as well to a certain mm. extent because once yeah. we admit that we've made a mistake we've learned from it or whatever if it's in the wrong environment and by wrong i mean somewhat unhealthy or toxic then people might start and go oh yeah 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 no he said uh, that he admitted his mistake let's jump on the bandwagon of blaming him and it's going to be all on his hers his shoulders right and i think yeah. that's why it's a, it's kind of a protective defensive mechanism in this to a certain extent but the control elements and I, i'd like to come back to mm, the self uh, management <laughs> track topic that we started because that in a way does feed into this especially the, the bit about control with leaders and managers often saying oh no we it wouldn't work in our organization self-management no we can't do that we can and for me that's you know alarm bells of why most of us like oh we we either don't trust our people or we don't want to lose control where we're afraid of losing that giving that away so for again you million a million reasons why that is what is the case but i i am curious how what what's what was your experience of that in terms of managing that transition from from the point of view of the organization wanting to to move to self-management to self-organization and the fear of potentially losing control i'm guessing might have must have been different because you made that decision to do it therefore that fear might have not been as as pronounced as it could be in other organizations yeah we still had sort of the the fear factor the fear of letting go i guess all of us right it's a it's a, again a, a natural human human thing you operate in a certain way for the longest time as professionals we're taught how to operate in the in a professional setting since the onset of our professional life so for that to change when you're a senior executive in a global organization there's so much at stake in that moment so i like to think about it as people being on the journey and maybe until, even intellectually, when we intellectually, collectively, as a group of senior executives decided that this is what we want and this is what we were still all on a journey of developing the skills, awareness and toolkit that enables us to be successful and effective in these in these in this environment and this way of working and i think that is basically a similar thing that happens in other organizations what you're basically saying when you're transforming an organization into self-management or any version of that is that you're saying to an executive or a manager let go of everything that you've learned over the years everything that made you successful exceptional unique and let go of all of these tools. And you now need to learn from scratch new tools. 
And that is a very difficult thing to sort of align with. Very, very difficult thing. And it takes time and effort and learning and unlearning and learning. It's just, it. so that is one, I think that is, in my experience, has been the biggest thing. It's just going on that journey and developing our own leadership in a paradigm that is very different. I think the other thing is just tangible stuff. The structures and systems and processes of a hierarchical organization are set up in a way where managers have more insight, have what we call a bird's eye view into what is happening in the organization. So in, in, in a sense, they're able in many of the situations make better judgments. So one of the things that we grapple a lot with when we were going through our transformation is how do we build judgment? Like we were, the thing that we were most worried about that if we bring decisions closer to the work, like we said, we could face a situation where people are not making good judgments. And how do we, how do we build that? And that was a learning question for us. And a lot of experimentation went, uh, went into us learning how to answer that question. And I think a few things that I've learned now that we've gone through that journey. And again, one, it falls down to individuals and their leadership development, them investing in their own sense of agency, in their own sense of inquisition and, and sort of confidence to make these decisions, to go and leverage other people's wisdom, to be able to work with others and sort of work across lines of difference. But then also we needed to shift our structures and processes and systems that in a way that enable everyone to have the information. So I think transparency, leadership development is step one, but also hand in hand in parallel with that is setting systems and structures with a lot of transparency. So we opened up, we started sharing, we let go of this idea of protecting our staff from information. And we started sharing openly everything on Slack. Our budget is open, our, a lot of information are, are some of the things that we face strategically with our network and partner are things that we talk about. Nothing became a taboo. Any staff member can basically put their hands up and say, I want to talk about this. So we talked about really, really difficult, difficult situation, difficult topics organizationally together and figured out what to do about it. And in doing so, in doing these, we had the other thing, like a reflection, periodic reflection processes on our intended outcome, our priorities, intended outcomes, strategies, and so on, our core values, our ways of working. And we reflected together on these things, paused, reflected, and then adapted and so on. In doing so, we not only built the, contributed to building the leadership of our staff, but also their judgment. They now have that bird's eye view, similar to managers, and we can to sort of build that trust that you talked about. As I'm listening to, to this, there's one thought that came to my mind and we hopefully can, uh, we focus a little bit at looking at from the at, at this from, uh, from the angle, from the perspective of, of individuals on, on the ground, if you will, in inverted uh, commas, of course. If I'm an employee, if I'm an individual in an organization and I find out from my senior management that they want to go down the route of self-organizing team, self-management, so on and so forth. And I'm hesitant. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that I'm tensing up. I'm getting defensive, fear, anxiety sets in, or simply I think it's just another ridiculous idea from senior management, you know, another bright idea that's never going to work in a million years. 
what can I do? How can I overcome that as a as an as an individual, as an employee, somewhere further down in the in the structures of the organization? Because you mentioned quite a lot of things that I guess already partially answer that question. But if I reformulate it this way, is there any type of initiatives that you you know that work best that help from an individual's point of view? From where I sit, I can take ownership of how I'm feeling. And then potentially embracing that change and helping my team members, two desks to the left, two desks to the right on this journey, on this transition. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I'll put myself in this person's shoes. I think the first thing I would want to do is go and have conversations with whoever is communicating this change, sort of the senior leadership within the organization, understand their motivations, what they're hoping, what is the vision, how is going, get all the information that I need or feel is missing to help me. I would also pause when I get this information, pause and think about what about this information that I just received, these conversations that I've had that I am feeling discomfort with and why? And reflect on why is this? Is it coming because I need more information? Is it because of fears of my competency, like how competent I am going to be in this new environment? What sort of what is behind my reactions or my feelings. Where, where, what, what, what are the underlying needs that are at play? Do I need reassurance? Do I need recognition? Do I need clarity? What is it? And then identify that and then go back and make requests, make clear requests of this is the information I need. This is the, these are the skills that I need. Even asking what skills are required, like going to whoever is leading the transformation, whether it's HR or maybe an OD specialist, an OD executive or someone else, just asking about like, we call them a teach for all enablers. What are some of, what would enable us, my, me as a staff member to live into that? These are some of, I, I would say, these are the, some of the first things I would do as a starting point, first step, go have conversations, get the information I need reflect, pause and reflect what is, what is underlying my reaction, my discomfort, and then go and make requests of what I need to sort of make me more comfortable. And then over time, I would say, invest in leadership, in your leadership development, in your sense of confidence, agency, ability to speak your voice, have clarity on your own identity, biases, and so on. Fabulous, fabulous answer, not just to this, this particular concept of self-management, but I think the, this applies to any type of change when any type of situation that we might find ourselves in, there's this change, something's happening. The, the ownership that we said, that self-reflection that we yeah. said to start, okay, I'm feeling a certain way. Why? Just ask yourself, right? And and use what I like to call the, the two-year-old method of asking why, 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 why. why. Uh, yeah, how many whys do you get? And as they say, only start counting the whys when it starts to hurt and it's uncomfortable. That's yeah. that, that's a signal that you're getting onto something really, really important. And I think it's it's a good good place to be. It, it's, it's going to be a leading question. I'm not going to even pretend that it's not. <laughs> Do you think from an individual's perspective, is self-management, self-organization for everyone? Hmm. <laughs> That's, I have a bias myself. I think, yes. It, it, I mean, this is an interesting question. So I want to caveat that with my, I want to caveat my answer with my belief and awareness that we're all very different as very similar in our needs and feelings, but also very different in what we want in life and how that looks like and our comfort and discomfort. And there's so much about who we are and our culture and where we come from that differentiates us and unites us. But like 
what I could be comfortable with as someone who who's Egyptian is very different from someone who comes from an American heritage, for example, or somewhere else, someone who comes from Thailand or so on. So with complete awareness and understanding of that, our, our similarities as human beings and our differences, I do think self-management or a version of self-management is really a, a healthy way for organization to leverage the collective leadership of the people within the organization. That doesn't mean that it will come naturally to everyone. I think organizationally then we need as an, organiz as an organization to support our staff in adapting to these new ways of working. So there are many people in the world that come from collective cultures that might find the idea of making the decision solely very difficult. So making sure that the processes and systems that we are putting in place to enable self-management are also enabling our staff to adapt and bridge towards these ways of working. In Teach for All, one of our, like one of the things that we experimented with a lot is this, is extending this idea of what it means to bring decisions closer to the work. And we talked we tied it very closely to this idea of collective wisdom and this idea of like leveraging people in advice and consent in the advice and consent process to enable to really not feel alone in your decision making, but feel like you're supported across across the board. I'm mindful that the next question is somewhat sensitive and might be under all sorts of NDAs. If that's the case, please, please tell me that that is the case that so you can't answer that question. Or if you could indicate roughly or work around that, it would be much appreciated. And that is connected to what you said with whether this, this suits all types of working and self-managed teams. Did you experience a higher than normal turnover of staff during the transition from how Teach for All was working to moving to self-management, uh, self-organizing teams? Not really. We actually have very, very strong retention in general in the organization. And I think it's just a collection of things. The, our culture, our ways of working are very unique, but also so many other things like hard, hard side type HR things like our benefits and our pay and, and, and so on. As an organization, this, the, or even before me, Teacherol has really invested heavily in like centering equity, inclusion, and so on. So even on a global scale, we take it to a deeper level. And I think it's, this is why when we go and we go through a lot of change as an organization, it's actually part of the three principles that govern our culture, the flexibility and constant change. So we, although we did have people that felt that this is not for them, we, in looking at the bigger picture, not at all. If anything, actually our retention is very, very, very strong for our industry. Very interesting because I've, I've I've come across the situation where there is an increase of of staff leaving the business either because they decided it wasn't for them and made that conscious decision. They were presented with the option and said, "Actually, you know what? I don't want to be part of this or for whatever personal reason." Other organisations, you know, after trying to, to coach and get people into different roles, there was a parting of ways one one way or another. So it's it's nice to hear that that's not always the case. And moving on slightly from that topic, but in in general, whether there are any what are the misconceptions maybe let's let's try it that way around you've you've experienced you see around self-managed self or self-organizing teams what are the most common ones apart from the some of the ones that we've already indirectly touched upon i think the 
I'll talk about two that are top of mind as we're talking about different things. Actually, maybe three. One is this idea that self-management means that individuals are making decisions alone. And I think that's one of the biggest mis misconceptions. And it's one of the scariest things for, for a staff member to sort of be asked to do after coming from like, after being again, raised professionally for the lack of a better term to not do that, that there are just multiple checks in, in the hierarchy to make sure that we're not doing something wrong. So I think the self-management is about, I'm going to use language that we use in Teach for All, but leveraging the collective wisdom. It's about leveraging without the barrier of the hierarchy, the, your stakeholders, people who are impacted by this work that have expertise with that work and have, and will be as, uh, sort of have the skills to enable you have the context. And in doing that, and I think that concept is very liberating this idea that now to make that decision, I don't get to do it alone using only Marwa's brain. I get to do it using five other brains. That is awesome. That is really. So I think this is the, mis the first misconception. The second misconception, I think, is this idea that self-management means that senior leaders no longer make decisions or lose sort of, there's something about sort of we leverage the, lead the senior leaders less in a self-management structure. And that is entirely, in my experience, at least not true. Self-management self or any version of that, I think, is about leveraging the leadership of everyone. How do we, instead, again, it's sort of, again, the, that collective wisdom idea, like instead of in the, in the hierarchical structure where one or two senior leaders are making the decision, we now have five, five brains that are making that decision, which is a much powerful idea. So a lot of the times when there is a transformation that is taking place around self-management, you find that senior leaders almost step back in a way and are worried to contribute to the decision. But I think I would encourage people to just like bring their whole self to that process. The, I, I now forgot, forgot the third. I was, uh, I was, I was going to say whether, whether, whether you're being shy, not wanting to introduce the third one that you've mentioned, because you, you, you did say that there are three misconceptions that you wanted to cover. If it does come back to you, please feel free yes. to jump in at any point. I'd love to know, mostly for myself, for selfish reasons, but also I'm sure that will benefit a lot of people hearing this. In terms of any resources uh, where that you relied upon, uh, books, articles, videos, courses, seminar, whatever, um, on the topic that actually helped you understand what to do, uh, apply it, think about it, and encourage that kind of basically that development, that educational part of, okay, how to do this? Because it's, let's face it, it's still a relatively fresh concept in the sense of uh, being if, in terms of the resources available. Uh, arguably, self-organization has been part of our lives and, and companies in uh, in different forms for, for a very, very long time. This is not a new concept as such, is that we're now looking at it more actively, trying to understand it and then apply it rather than letting it happen on, on, on its own. So I'm curious whether there are any resources that you could point us to. Yeah. I remember the third misconception. <laughs> please, the, please, go, please go, ahead gonna... with, <laughs> go ahead with the misconception. Share... We'll come back to the resources later. Yes, and then I'm going to share the resources. But the third misconception is that we have to figure it all out. Like we, and we need to sort of flip all of our structures, all everything, and we need to do it all at once. And I actually think one of the best things about self-management is this idea of experimentation. 
and like doing things in a way that feel, yeah, just like encouraging experimentation. So sometimes a lot of people ask me always, like, where do we start from? Start where you can within your sphere of sphere, sphere of influence in one place. And, and you'd be really surprised how organic experimentation enable, enables at least demand for that type of way of working or that not to discount that, of course, systemic change is important, like the, the organizational thing, the leadership being behind it is very, very important. But this idea of that we need to figure everything out at the start is not, is completely not a misconception from my point of view. And I think the experimenting and trying different things and adapting, and again, this idea of pausing, observing, reflecting, and then adapting and engaging is very, very important. Yeah, that was my third one. I'm, I'm glad it came back to you. And yes, I, I fully agree with that. That's what, something that I often see is one, uh, one part, and I say it quite often, which I'm sometimes wondering whether that's not a, a bias or a narrative that is impacting how I perceive the world, that a lot of uh, organizations uh, want a quick fix. I've got a headache and I want a pill. Therefore, I will. I want to do these five workshops and the pill, the, 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 the pill works, the headache has disappeared, but it resurfaces few weeks few mm. months down the line but the other thing is that we also want to do everything straight away rather than thinking okay let's you know let's break it this down this is not going to happen overnight this is going to take months if not years what can we do what can we start off with right and there's there's a there's a hundred of things to do it's impossible to do all of them at once even though even if we might have all the information available to make these decisions which is very unlikely but often actually no we don't it's better to focus on the two things first the next step the next step and kind of build from there build momentum get people on board and so on and so forth so that's my bit coming back to yeah. resources where yes. where can we look so i would i'm, I'm thinking of multiple things that have helped me as a, as we're going through this. So the, the first thing, which was the inspiration of all of this is reinventing organization by Frederick Lenoux. Of course, that was such an inspiration and a starting point for our organization when we were thinking about it, but there are many other sort of similar resources around this work. So I, uh, I now forgot the book, but the author is called Susan Basterfield. And again, she, it's about. It's a book about agile organizations and such a strong resource for, for that. Everyone's Culture, the book, Everyone's Culture, Delivering Happiness. I looked a lot about at the experience of Semco as an organization and what they've done. And then there is the Greater Than, which is sort of a, how do I describe it? A platform that, that offers a lot of resources and content around these ways of working. Liberating Structure is another set of is another website that has a lot of tools and so on. And I think, I actually think if you tr start with a few of these things, one thing leads to another in terms of resources and content, but these are some of the books. In terms of leadership development, Bahavana is an organization that I personally sort of learned, learned a lot from in terms of the leadership development. A woman called Lutz Mara, who also does a lot of work around the deeper sense of, of, of leadership development and nonviolent communication, which I'm deeply immersed in and deeply believe in and influenced by and, and so on. So these are some of the things that I would say invite people to explore. 
Fantastic. Thank you very much. There's a, there's a, there's a long list and entirely not surprised that you mentioned uh, Frederick Lelouz, which basically I would call the Bible in this in the, in this <laughs> sphere, in a, way, in a way. I remember reading that book, it, it being on my reading list for a really long time, surprisingly. I don't know why. And eventually I got around to reading it towards the end of 2021, if I remember right, so like, towards the end of last year. I, I I literally quite literally demolished that book. I just consumed it so quickly, like I never yeah. do with books. And now uh, the, I've, I've 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 since then looked at the other version of that book. I don't know whether you you came across the illustrated version, which is be- which is beautiful in mm. itself. I've only done looked at the electronic version. I can only imagine how how gorgeous it looks in in printed form, which is available as well for anyone listening. Google Google Frederick Lelouch. Google the name of the of the book, Reinventing Organizations, and the best bit you can get it for free on on Frederick's website if you. I encourage you to buy it, to contribute to, to to Frederick's work. But he talks openly about sharing the knowledge and, and invites people to either have it for free or pay as much as you you believe it's worth. So it's definitely a, a great book to start. There there are loads of others. I know corporate is it corporate rebels. The the two chaps from I want to say yeah. Den Denmark Holland somewhere. European based, they they yes. they, are, they are fantastic resources as well. Austria. In terms of, Austria, and they they do a lot of work, a lot of courses, not specifically to in relation to self organisation, self management, but in general, kind of breaking the habit of how we run our organisation. So they go in a slightly different angle, but also touch upon what we're talking about here today. I think. It's it's safe to say we we could go on for for a very very long time. And as I said, in a way, one one day I'd love to learn a lot more about the ins and outs of how you've had handled that transition from start to end. Uh, and maybe if you've got the time and willingness at some point in the future to to jump on another call to to have that conversation, it would be great. But for the time being, I'd I'd, I'd pause the conversation and redirect it for to to a different angle. Which is, I'm curious, what you've got coming up in the next few weeks, few months. What what are you looking forward to? Really excited. Yeah, it's a really Actually, exciting time in in my career at the moment. I just last week had my last day in teacher role and I'm moving back into consulting, which is my core background. And I want to take with me everything that I've learned with teacher role and sort of help other leaders and organizations explore how to navigate transformation, how to create human-centered cultures that are centered in diversity, equity, and inclusion. So yeah, so I'm exploring different opportunities right now, either with with organizations and leaders to do exactly that. So it's very exciting. Wow, very exciting indeed. So basically, you're available for to to work to help organizations who are listening to this and kind of go oh yes we want a piece of this this setup this structure how do we do that now the simpler the simplest way is to start by reaching out to you and then going on that journey the journey possibly is not going to be as easy but definitely worth it in in the end it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much for for taking the time sharing your knowledge i think it's safe to say that we've only barely scratched the surface of of this topic Uh, as i mentioned luke kai episode and interview last year goes a lot in a lot of detail but also a more recent episode with a company from argentina 10 points they've gone through a similar transformation so i highly encourage everybody to listen to those episodes as well thank you very much again for your time thank you left for inviting me Usually when we say our on-the-air goodbyes, uh, me and my guests tend to continue talking and I leave the microphone on in case we say something uh, interesting. And Marwa did actually share some of her reflections on the 10 Pints episode that I recorded a few weeks ago with Jorge Silva and Giselle Dacuzzi. And here you can listen to what she had to say. I actually listened 
to the Ten Pines podcast, and I absolutely loved it. It was so good. And I made the mental note to refer to it as we were talking about the because there were different a few things that they mentioned that we touched on, but I of course didn't do it in the moment. But like, there's a lot about what they talked about, like the transparency piece that is so important, like to build judgment. This idea that I shared with you to build judgment. We need to open our systems and structures and be transparent. And that will build the leadership and judgment that is so important, I believe mm -hmm. in it. They also talked a lot about this idea of being organic, which I'm translating to experimenting. Like don't act like don't make the assumption that everything needs to fit. Gisela mentioned something like it's going to do your own thing in a way, like your model in your organization is going to look different. And that is such a powerful message because there's no one size fit all in self-management. There's, this is why I keep saying any version of it, because it, it's going to look different from one organization to another. So experiment with what looks and feels good. There's no right and wrong, but there's many things that they uh, talked about that really resonated some of what I mentioned, but even in the remote working because teach for all is fully remote. We've been remote before even the pandemic. We mm -hmm. had a virtual first strategy and Giselle had mentioned this idea of like being more intentional or maybe this idea of being more intentional about what do we do around connection, connecting with each other and like sort of almost creating those spaces intentionally in a way that we didn't need to, if we were physical and that resonated as so true even in our experience and more so after the pandemic so even before the pandemic people traveled and there was just a lot more flexibility to see each other after the pandemic there's more and more people that are hesitant to go into places so creating those intentional spaces and be really creative in creating that is so important to create connection and a sense of community within an organization that is fully remote so that resonated a lot. It's me again. Just one more thing before you take off. Head over to human.pm forward slash we got this. That's all one word where you can find this and previous episodes show notes, suggest a guest or topic, ask a question or join the community of other listeners. Until next time.